Our morning theme has been a life and death matter, as we realize we are to declare the gospel in various ways, in word and deed. And now we're turning to our text, as we'll be taking several selected passages, about one per chapter, as we go through the next few weeks. And now we're in chapter 2 of Second Corinthians. We dealt with comfort and affliction, you may remember, last week. And now we are dealing with a life and death matter. If you will look at Second Corinthians chapter 2, I'm going to read more than just our text for some context. Second Corinthians chapter 2. And let's begin, let's see what the best verse would be to begin here. Verse 5, let's go with. Chapter 2, verse 5. If anyone has caused pain, he has caused it to me, but in, not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive him and comfort him, where he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs." When I first came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to the one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life, who is sufficient for these things. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Thus far God's word, may he enable us to apply it in our lives, and shall we pray. We once again look to you for the insight that we need into this most amazing passage. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Life and death matter is in your bulletin. It's on the outline page. You are a fragrance to God, a fragrance to others, and a fragrance from God. Well, what is this all about? This is about the spreading of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, it is encouraging to me to see that this congregation has several ministries whereby you visit young people in need or the elderly in need in this community and are seeking to speak to your friends and neighbors about Jesus Christ. This is because, evidently, you are convicted that what the Bible says is important for everyone to know and understand and believe. When I was growing up, I grew up in South Jersey, that's New Jersey, near Philadelphia. And down at the shore, we used to call it the shore, not the beach. But if you're from Philadelphia, you go down the shore and you go there to enjoy the ocean and the boardwalk and the sand. And on the boardwalk, 
there is a ministry called the Boardwalk Chapel. And the Boardwalk Chapel is open to the boardwalk, and thousands of people walk by while young people are giving their testimonies, while they are singing praises to God, and while brief messages come from the Bible to everybody who's walking by, whether they want to hear it or not, and some of them don't want to hear it. Now, I was a young person at that time, growing up in, in uh, South Jersey, and every Thursday during the summer we would go and attend the Boardwalk Chapel services, and we were drafted to give testimonies. And it was scary. I was scared to death. I was an introvert, and I've changed a little bit, but back then I really didn't want to do this. And part of it was because when people walk by, well, these are people from the Northeast, so they let you know what they're thinking. If they don't like what you're thinking, they'll tell you right then and there, get off the stage, you bunch of idiots. What do you think you're talking about? This is ridiculous. Why do you bother us with this message from the Bible, whatever that is? And of course, other people would come by and they would stop to listen. And I was very intrigued by that. And they would be sometimes listening to what I was saying as a teenager or what the pastors were saying, or what the songs were saying, what the Bible was saying. And there are many people over the years that have become believers in that situation. The gospel is like a broadcast, or it's like a fragrance, as it says here, that goes out to everyone, and some people don't like it, and other people do. I wonder what's going on in the nation today, as to whether or not there are more people that are more open to the gospel than they used to be. I'll give some examples a little bit later, but I found in the last year or so that it has been relatively easy for me to talk to people about Christ. Now, it doesn't hurt that I can always say I'm a pastor and this is what I'm doing here in Florida or California or here in in Madison. I can tell people what I'm doing. And they say, usually, oh, really? And sometimes they are open to hearing what I have to say about why I do what I do. I think some people are more open, or at least more people than it used to be, in my opinion, are more open to hearing about something that has to do with life and death because we've been through a pandemic. People that you know have probably died of COVID. Sometimes they're elderly, sometimes they're not all that elderly. Sometimes they have long COVID or are still experiencing symptoms of loss of taste and smell. You know how it goes. And therefore, everybody's been kind of more aware of the fact that these are sobering times. We are living in the context of a life and death matter. Now, the gospel of Jesus Christ comes to those who are alive or dead. Or perhaps they may come alive in the context of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. There is an urgency to the gospel that I think we must take a hold of in this passage. And it's given to us on the background of an interesting situation that Paul had in 1 Corinthians. Let me remind you. I know you went through 1 Corinthians. Remember that man who was committing adultery with his relative, with his mother-in-law of all people? And some of the people in Corinth thought, well, this is okay. Thinking, what in the world? What, why would that be okay? That's terrible. Even the Gentiles think, this is crazy. Well, who would do this? And the church was actually saying, well, we have freedom to do what we want. And Paul says, no, you don't. <laughs> you are new people. You can't live this way. Even the Gentiles think you are nasty. 
So you need to recognize how wonderful it is to be delivered from the power of sin, but stop rejoicing in sin. Turn away from sin, and Paul was wondering whether they would listen or not. He said later he would have to come to them, and it might not be easy. It turns out he waited to hear from Titus what was going to happen there at Corinth, and when they received that letter, it's possible there was another letter also, but at least 1 Corinthians came to them, and Paul heard as he waited around for Titus to come, and he heard that they had repented of their sins, that they had disciplined this man who had committed this kind of sexual sin, and then they were beginning to wonder, should we forgive him? I mean, they had heard what Paul said. This is serious sin. But if he repents, should they forgive him? They said, well, we don't want to fall into that trap again. We don't want to be pushovers. We want to be strict on sin, and so they should have been. But then he says, if somebody really repents, you forgive him. God's forgiven him. I forgive him. You should forgive him. And he heard the good news, and he was so overjoyed because he was really worried about them. He had trouble sleeping. He had trouble because it was on his mind and on his heart. Would the Corinthians listen to God's word? Is the Holy Spirit among them or not? And when he heard that they had repented, he was overjoyed. And he gave thanks, it says in verse 14, to God. That's why he's giving thanks to God. God really exists. The Holy Spirit really exists. God's people can really repent of sin, and in this case, terrible sin and other sins that he had pointed out to them. So therefore, the gospel really works. It delivers people from death to life and from sin to holiness. The salvation that we have in Jesus Christ is powerful and important and comes to everyone around us who need the gospel without fail. We find that God has given to Paul the privilege of preaching and teaching to people that might not want to hear it, but when they hear it, he knows it's all been worth it. Thanks be to God, he says in verse 14, who always in Christ leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now this is an interesting illustration that we may not be all that aware of. In those days, the Romans, of course, had powerful phalanxes, and they went around the world, and they fought battles, and sometimes they would bring back conquered troops, and they would march them through the streets of Rome in shackles, and they would celebrate. And the Roman troops were there, waving their flags and doing whatever they were doing to celebrate, and because they were wanting the people to rejoice with them over the triumph of Rome over her enemies, they burned incense. Now, that sounds like an odd thing to do. The closest thing we have is we throw candy to the crowds. If you have a Thanksgiving parade or something or another, have some candy. Well, they were saying, have some good fragrance. Now you say, what difference would that make? Uh, We have plenty of fragrances in our department stores. But remember, this is not the 21st century. This is way back when, when people took baths maybe once in a while every year or two, whether they needed it or not. It was really something, despite the Roman baths, This was a place of stench and stink. People had this continued oppression of something that was decaying. Something was not quite right. There is the stench of death all around us. And therefore, to have incense, what a relief, they would say. Now, you might have ever experienced this. If you ever lived in Haiti, let us say, you'd find a third world country in which there's much poverty, 
much disease, much death, much trouble, and much stench. This is true in many parts of the world, whether you go to India or Haiti or other places in the world where perhaps bathing is not quite as common. And then you would understand why you would celebrate with marching troops, with captured soldiers, and with incense. Now what he's saying here is, Christ leads us in a triumphal procession, a big parade that is even better than that. Christ is the emperor of the world. He is the king of glory. He is greater than the Roman emperors. And when he conquers sinners and leads them in his train, his power over sin is exalted and his salvation to all is shown to the world. He leads those prisoners as a Roman emperor leads his prisoners in a parade through the streets of Rome. Colossians says it this way, He has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Christ, in his work on the cross, has won the victory over sin, over death, and over Satan, as we saw in Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman has come. He has struck the head of the serpent. He has triumphed over sin and hell and death. And also, ironically, he has won a victory over us too. There's a sense in which we are captives of Christ. Paul calls himself a slave of Christ. He follows Christ wherever he goes. He used to be at enmity with Christ, but now he loves the Lord and he follows him. And we are in some ways, a spectacle to the world. He says that in 1 Corinthians. I think, think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are going through hardship, and nobody thinks anything good about us. And that's the way it was for those who rejected the gospel. Paul's former friends who loved him when he was persecuting Christians, now think he has gone crazy. They made fun of him. They opposed him. They chased him around. They tried to kill him. They tried to stone him. They tried to get rid of his gospel. But we find that Paul, despite that opposition, was being led in triumph because partly of what happened in Corinth. Those people listened to the gospel. They repented of their sins. And Paul says, now you know what true freedom is. You're captives of Christ, but now you're free in him to follow him, delivering all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery, Hebrews 2 says. Paul had been worried. God was still working in him despite whatever might have happened in the Corinthian church. But we are part of Christ's victory parade because he causes all things to work together for good, as you know, for those who are called according to his purpose. And as that purpose moves forward, Christ declares his victory to the world. Now, Paul sees this seemingly insignificant event, and imagine what other people might have thought. Oh, somebody in Corinth was sleeping with somebody that he shouldn't have slept with. What's the big deal? Immorality was so common in Corinth that they might have thought, well, what difference does it make what those Christians are doing behind closed doors? 
But Paul saw the turning from sin as an indication that there's a cosmic change that has happened that affects the hearts of men as well as the stars in the heavens in that last day. We are celebrating the power of Jesus Christ to change lives. Even if we have to be chained to Christ, we are truly free in him. Thanks be to God, Paul wants to say, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. There's that parade. Why? And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. We are the fragrance of God. Christians are also contrasting with the stench of sin in the world by demonstrating holiness in our lives. And of course, the world thinks that's crazy. Why in the world would you follow God? Why don't you just do what you want the way we do it? And so the sweet smell of victory is analogous to the aromas you find in the Old Testament as well. There is in Leviticus chapter 9 an offering whereby a food offering is given as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. We are like a pleasing aroma to God because we've been delivered from death to life and have the newness of life whereby God is pleased. You too are a fragrance, Ephesians says, and you too are a living sacrifice. You are to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ was a sacrifice. He was a fragrant offering. Romans 12, you are a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Wherever you go, people ought to notice the difference. They ought to understand that there is a hope within you. And we're told that people may ask you a reason for why you are so different. Why you have hope? Why you bother to go to church and waste your Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon? It seems ridiculous to people. But Paul seemed ridiculous to his unbelieving friends, his former friends. And now, as we live for Christ, we will come into a share of that rejection and ridicule. But God has decided to display in us, as clay pots, as he will say later on in a later chapter, the glories of the gospel like a treasure, a treasure of grace, gold, silver, diamonds, rubies, jewels, in the clay pots, the weak vessels that we are. And what we are doing is showing forth the knowledge of Christ. See it again here. We are spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of him, that is, the knowledge of Christ, everywhere, everywhere. You are a fragrance to others. Now, when they smell that fragrance, where they see those differences in your life, you are the aroma of God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Remember my Boardwalk Chapel illustration. People will walk by and they'll make fun, they'll shout insults. Not easy for us young people to hear. Or they might come to Christ, and that made all the difference as the reason why we were there is to reach others for the gospel. And a fragrance, depending on your own health, can either lure you or repel you. There are people that use fragrances to sell things. I imagine you have a mall not too far from you, and in the mall usually there's a Cinnabon shop. And what they do is they take that fragrance of fresh baked pastry, 
and cinnamon and sugar, and they blow that fragrance out to you where you are thinking, I have got to have one of those sweet rolls. Oh, I've got, by the way, I've never gotten one. I don't like them. Different reason. But you see, some people might be repelled. Some people might actually be attracted. Now, the people who are repelled are usually those who are not feeling so well. You know, you know, if you're sick, you don't like to eat anything. Nothing seems good to you. Everything seems to turn your stomach. If you are sick, then you don't want to eat. If you are well, you want to eat that which is good. And therefore, a fragrance for you may be unto life or it might be unto death. Now, among those who are perishing, it says it is from death to death. That means they begin dead and they end dead. In the middle is nothing. What they hear means nothing to them. They don't want to listen. They don't want to believe. It is a stench or a smell or an aroma that seems to them to be bad. And you can imagine the defeated armies marching behind the Roman generals or soldiers in this defeat. They might smell the incense and the crowds are cheering. And they're going, that incense to me is a smell of defeat. It shows that I lost and the Romans won. I am not happy. I am walking in slavery now where once I had freedom. Now, it isn't as though the gospel is foolish. But the gospel appears foolish to those who are dead in their sin. Have you ever had a problem with your eyes and you had to be in a dark room for a long time? Light is unbearable to diseased eyes. And sick people don't want to see the light. Close the curtains. It hurts my eyes. People who are sick cannot stand the sight of food. Or the more you hear, the less you want to hear. This happened in Stephen's day when in Acts chapter 7, he preached that they had rejected the Messiah. They didn't want to hear that. He said, you're just like your fathers before you who stoned the prophets and killed those who came to them. And now you stoned them, you killed the Messiah. And you need to repent of your sins. And of course, the Jews didn't want to hear that they were sinners or that Jesus was the Savior. They hated that idea. And therefore, what did they do to Stephen? They were enraged and they gnashed their teeth and they ran at him and they stoned Stephen to death. That's how much they hated the fragrance of the gospel, the good news of what God was telling them because they didn't want to hear it. First Corinthians says, the word of the cross is folly to those that are perishing, but, and this is the good news, to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now remember, perhaps, when you didn't believe. Remember a time, perhaps, when you first heard the gospel. I don't know if some of you remember that. Maybe you were just a child. I don't know. But there will be others among you who might have heard the gospel, and once you thought Christians were stupid. I went to a high school reunion about a year and a half ago now, and I, I had become, I was a, a Christian in a public high school. They had no Christian school for um, high schoolers in those days back where I lived. Homeschooling wasn't really a thing. So I went to public school. And it wasn't too long before people found out that I was a Christian, one way or another. And they began to think, this guy is crazy. I went back to my reunion, my 50th high school reunion. Yes, I'm that old. And there were some people who remember thinking I was crazy. 
I thought, this guy is a lunatic. He's supposed to be smart. He doesn't really know anything. It turns out some of those people, not long after high school, became Christians. Now, I don't know how much I had to do with it. I suspect not very much. But they remembered that I was different. I didn't like the fact that they didn't like me. (laughs) But they had listened to what the Bible said and became believers. And this, of course, is an amazing thing when any of us have the opportunity to share the gospel. And now for believers, the more you hear, the more you want to hear, and it becomes the hope of life. And therefore, as you see what he says here, a fragrance from death to death to the others, a fragrance from life to life. So God has for believers a new life that becomes more and more powerful, more and more precious, and truly is eternal, even stretching beyond the grave. We are talking here, in other words, when we talk about the Bible, and the gospel, and Jesus, of a life and death matter. Your relationship to Christ and others' eternal destinies depend on their dependence on Jesus Christ or their rejection of him. Preachers, therefore, must be insistent. In the Boardwalk Chapel, when preachers declared the gospel, they didn't say things like, well, there are many opinions about how to get to God, and this is just one of them. No, they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's the only way you will be saved. And people mocked, or they listened. If, let us say, there is a fire in the lobby, can you imagine my having an announcement like this? All right, after the worship service, we're going to have a fellowship luncheon down the hallway. There is a little fire out there in the lobby. Make your way carefully around it. Go down the hallway and have your luncheon, because I know you're all hungry. And we hope that by the time you leave, the fire will not have gotten to the back room. Wouldn't that be a great announcement? Do you you think I would make that kind of announcement? I'd say, look, people, there's a fire in an orderly, calm way. Get out of here. You need to escape the flames. You don't go, oh, I think there's a small fire in the lobby. This is how we would know there's something more important than our dinner. It's a life and death matter. We have to treat it that way. Can you imagine somebody whispering fire? Now, I know you're not supposed to yell fire in a crowded theater, but they should know about it, and they should get out. We have to recognize that although we don't stand and scream on the streets, it's not as though we yell the gospel. We proclaim it, and we reason with people. Paul reasoned with the Gentiles and the Jews in the Areopagus, and in the synagogues, and he told them, and he reasoned with them, and he looked at the scripture, and he said, this is what Christ came to do, and this is your problem and my problem. We need Jesus Christ. The rejection of the gospel is serious and deadly, and in these postmodern times, people don't want to hear truth. They want to hear opinions, and we all have them. You and I have, I think, I've been convinced, more gospel opportunities than ever. At the very least, if you're afraid to speak to your friends all that much, at least invite them to come to a Bible study or to church or visit them as you do in the community. I'm so glad for that. I can always tell people, if you want to read the Bible, you've got it on you. Just look at your cell phone and look, or look for Bible and it'll come up right in front of you. I remember one time I was eating seafood in a seafood place. This was, I think it was up in Dayton. And there was a girl that was serving me, and there was nobody else in the place. It was probably 2 or 3 in the afternoon. 
And I started talking to the girl who was serving, and, and, I, and I asked her how she was doing and how long she had worked there. I told her what I had been doing and preaching as a pastor. And she said, you know, I used to go to this church, and I won't mention the denomination. Let's just say it's very liberal and doesn't really have the gospel. She said, but recently I started going to a Baptist church. I said, good, go to some church where it preaches the gospel, all right? Listen to what it says. She says, I want to grow in Christ. I said, exactly. In this time of pandemic, we lose our friends and lose our fellowship. So get back to church. Go to a good church and read your Bible. Read the Gospel of John. And I said, look, take your phone, open it up, look at the Gospel of John, read through it, pray about it, and grow in grace. That was an opportunity that was completely random. I was filling up at a gas station just shortly after we had moved from Ohio back to Chattanooga, and I still had Ohio tags on. The guy came out from his little booth, you know, they stay behind the booth. He ran out to me, he says, you're from Ohio, I'm from Ohio too, what are you doing here? So once again, I had the opportunity to tell him what I was doing. He said, I would like to go to church, but I have a job that makes me work on Sunday. I said, you got to get around that somehow or other. Before long, I was telling him what's important in life and death. Is it important to have your job on Sunday, or is it important to be with believers and go to church and grow in grace? I don't know what happened to him, but... I had the opportunity to speak to him. There's a lady on the bus. This is now San Francisco. So I've gone from Ohio to Chattanooga, and now I'm in San Francisco. People are a little different there, but sometimes they'll talk. I was sitting on the bus. This lady was next to me. She turned out to be talkative. She said, I grew up in a Baptist church, and again, normally that might be okay, but her church was very legalistic. She said, I couldn't stand all these crazy rules, and you might understand what she was talking about. So she says, I left the Baptist faith. And I've been studying religions ever since. And I said, really, tell me. And of course, by this time, she knows I'm a pastor, you know. And so we started talking about, the ch- about church and about what she might come to believe. And I said, well, are you studying these other faiths in order to see if you can believe something else or just out of curiosity? And she said, no, I'm just curious. Well, of course, that's a problem. You have to find out what's true. And we talked about it for about three minutes. And of course, then she got off the bus. I have no idea. What happened to her? I could tell you countless illustrations like this, whether I'm in Florida or whether I'm in Alabama or whether I'm in Georgia or Tennessee or San Francisco or wherever I happen to be, these opportunities multiply. An article by one of our missionaries to China, his name is Jeremiah Montgomery, was in the New Horizons about a year and a half ago. And he basically said these are simple things to do. You have to notice people, you have to care about people, and you have to talk to people. I thought, how simple is that? We often don't even notice people. If you're from the Northeast the way I do, you avert your eyes. You don't want to look at anybody because they might talk to you. You look, you're talking to me, you're looking at me. You know, people up north do that. Around the south, a little different. People will talk to you, and that's great. We're in the Bible Belt. That helps a little bit. But you need to talk to people. You need to notice people. You need to care about those people. And you need to talk to people. And as I told you before, I was a severe introvert. Now I'll talk to anybody at any time about anything. And I'm not sure how that happened. But you need to develop that same opportunity that you see in everyday life to talk to people or to have interaction with people. You might join some kind of a community club. You might join a quilting circle. You might have a, a church booth at a local festival. You might visit the county jail, or as you do, visiting young people in need. You might have Bible studies at work. 
I had a Bible study one time on the top floor of a big building in Charlotte, and a bunch of fancy bankers would meet, and we would talk about the Bible. I have hosted Bible studies in a community college in a neighborhood when the lady said nobody would show up, but she invited her neighbors anyway, and 15 people showed up, and she was flabbergasted, and we talked about the Bible. It wasn't all that easy. None of these, none of these people were necessarily believers. I've done some open-air preaching at Ohio State University. I've, of course, talked to the Boardwalk Chapel. I've mentioned that. Some guy begged for money on the street in Charlotte. I said, how about if I buy you a piece of pizza? He says, okay. If I'm going to actually give him food, that's okay. So he went into this little shop, had a piece of pizza, and we talked about the Bible. Because I was a pastor, it helps a little bit. But you can do the same thing. I'm a Christian. This is why I care about you. You can join an atheist club. You said, what, what? Well, wait a minute. This actually happens. Up in Dayton, there's a pastor who joined the local atheist club. Not because he's an atheist, but because there's a real live Christian on the line. And if they want to be atheists, they're going to have to prove what they're believing. And he is sitting there talking to them because he cares about them. Brilliant. Okay, join an atheist club. Whatever. I've attended a mosque on invitation. There are Bible studies starting up in Dayton with Muslims who want to know more about Christianity, and they will explain their faith to those Christians. You should speak to people in every opportunity you have. Even the most introverted among you talk about what you love. Maybe you're a baseball fan. Maybe you like to cook. I heard somebody likes to do that. Talk about cooking with somebody who likes to cook. Share recipes. I don't care. Become friends with somebody in their neighborhood or community. It isn't that difficult. I hope you like people enough to talk to them and to find friends somewhere. And if you do so, you will ultimately have the opportunity to tell about what you believe and about what you love about the gospel. It's natural. It will come up. And people, like I say, are more open to that, I think, than ever. Evangelism is about loving Jesus, loving people, and sharing Jesus with them. Now that means that you can do something that you might not ordinarily do, and it's something I would never have done as a young person very easily. And so it says here in verse 16, who is sufficient for these things? I'm glad he said that. Pastor, I don't want to do this. I wish I hadn't come this morning. What are you bugging me about? I want to go home and have a peaceful life and just do something else. Who is sufficient for these things? Well, you're not. I'm not. Nobody can do this. It seems simple, but it's impossible because we're putting ourselves out there for people to see. And they might not like it. Who is sufficient for these things? But then he goes on to say, look, it doesn't matter. We're doing something that is true, and we're doing out of a sincerity of heart. It says, we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. Now, perhaps you know what a peddler is. It's not a bicyclist, okay? A peddler is somebody who's selling something for a lot of money that isn't worth anything. You'll find them everywhere. Used to be a snake oil salesman out west. Guy running around in a little wagon selling patent medicine that didn't probably molasses and water, but it was supposed to be a miracle cure. You could buy it only for a dollar a bottle. That was a lot back then. Peddlers, people selling stuff that is not worth anything, shoddy goods, Diluted wine was very famous in the Old Testament. Patent medicine, used cars. My apologies to those who might be salesmen. Spam email. 
calls on the phone that are from fake people that don't really work where they say they work, pitches for Viagra and miracle cures, extra benefits for your Social Security. I mean, these things go on and on and on. People trying to get money don't care about you. They only want to get the money. This is not what the apostles were doing. They did not care about health and wealth. They were concerned about the gospel no matter what happened to them. People want to hear certain things, but they don't want to hear the gospel for sure. But the gospel is what they need. The gospel is strange but powerful. It's either for salvation or condemnation. Either way, God gets the glory. Whether the Christians, the Corinthians listened or were saved, or whether some in rebellion rejected the gospel, and it's possible that they did, Paul had to be faithful to proclaim the victory of Jesus Christ. So you are doing something that is important, that is true, that is sincere, and if you care about people and the glory of God, you will find some way to do it, some way or other in your own context. The Lord convicted you of sin at one point, and he told you to serve him and to follow him and to share the gospel with the nations. We read it from the psalm in Isaiah this morning. You have sinned. You deserve punishment from a just God. You deserve death itself, and Jesus saves you from sin. And now you know you have a destiny that is secure and safe in heaven for you, reserved for you, an inheritance that shall never fade away where no thieves can break in or steal and it doesn't rust and fall apart. People can't escape hell through their own efforts. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. You know these things. I'm telling you things you already know. Well, why don't you tell others the same thing? C.S. Lewis had a way of writing. And he said, if you look around you, you might see people, just people. But he says, all men will either look like demons from whom we would avert our eyes someday, or like angels whom we would be strongly tempted to worship. In other words, we'll either be glorified or condemned. All of us have eternal souls. All of us have an eternal destiny. Remember, Christ is the living way. You have found the way, and you cannot be timid, though you might be tempted to be, but ready and willing and able to give an answer for those who need it. And they might even ask you, Wouldn't that be great? It happens. Remember that you can't do it on your own. Your sufficiency is from God. And it's not for your praise. It's for his glory. He gets all the praise. You don't have to get any of it. You simply do what your your Lord and Savior says to you because he's delivered you from slavery to sin to serving him, a glorious king, master, and the one who has loved us from before the foundation of the world, isn't that something to share with others? You have the glories or the treasure of the gospel in your very life. Let those glories shine forth to the glory of God, shall we pray. Lord God, you have given us an opportunity to do that which we cannot do in ourselves, to share the truths that we once did not believe, to care about others that we are so easily able to overlook and ignore rather than to see and to care about and to talk to. We pray that we will share our victory in Christ and the victory that he had over us and how we have been transformed and saved by the power of the gospel and that there are others who are in such circumstances who do not yet know the Lord that need to know 
about Jesus Christ. May we be friends with them. May we contact them. May we have opportunities to share the gospel. And we pray that you will receive the glory in Jesus' name.